Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Welcome to Inside the Episode. Today, David and I are going inside the proper use of the will. We're going to stick with in. waddles. We're going to hit it and hit it hard. And uh, talking Damn. a little bit, talking a little bit about will off mic here. And we were talking about how that word kind of has different meanings for different yeah, people. Yeah, for and sure. you had shared that kind of sometimes, you know, when you were first learning about it, it was there was a sort of a negative connotation right. that went with it. Can you would you mind starting off and sharing that with everybody because so they could kind of benefit from what I got? Yeah. So you know. Um, I remember my dad used to say, where, there, where there's a will, there's a way. And it was almost like a forcing type thing or exerting your will on somebody else. Um, it, had, it had that kind of a heaviness to it uh, when, I, when I actually started to realize that it was in some of this teaching, like with the science of getting rich and stuff. And it was Proctor that said to me that all it is is focus. Your will is an intellectual factor, and it, it's, it's your ability to focus and you can actually strengthen it, which I thought, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you could. Yeah, that's such so. a great reframe of a definition because when I think of the will, I too feel like there's a push or a yeah. pull. There's an ex- exertion of force upon another, whereas you're saying it's just your focus. Right. When you when when Michael Jordan was was killing it for the Bulls and he was imposing his will on the other team, he was so focused Laser. in completing his task that that's what he was, that's what he was doing. Yep. It wasn't like, you know, you're pushing someone down. You're actually focusing up to get to what you want to do. Yes. I mean, that's a, that right there. That was my, yes. my first question was going to be, you know, what is the will? And I think you just crushed yeah, it. It's an intellectual factor. It's our ability to consciously hold an image or an idea or concept in our conscious mind and focus on it, sustained concentration in one direction. Another thing that I learned about this T was um, it, it, because our mind works so quickly it appears that we can think about two things at the same time. We really can't. It's just that we can bounce back and forth so fast. It has that appearance. But when we're really focused on one thing, even if there's something else going on that we're trying to mix with or whatever, you're really only locked into one idea at a time. So um, it has profound uh, capabilities when you're talking about creating results in your life. Well, yeah, and, and you've talked about sort of the myth of multitasking before. Yeah. Like multitasking is bullshit because you, what you just said, the focus it requires to do that one thing, you can't be multiply focused on other things. It's, not I really mean, effectively. Not, not effectively. No. You, you can. I yeah. mean, you can think about two different things, but at the same time, but however, you're not focusing on it. And that's the key. Right. And that's what I think I loved about this episode is the tremendous amount of focus it requires to, you know, bring that will into existence existence and manifest whatever you want in this life. So, well, one of the statements from the episode that got me thinking that you had mentioned was that people are constantly trying to change their outside circumstances, change the way in effect that other people perceive them. Mm. Essentially saying that which they desire is in someone else's hands, you know, someone else is, you know, in charge of everything that I need. This seems to be prevalent in most people and maybe people who are listening to this. So I'm going to do some broad strokes here, just general to the audience. Where does the idea that in order for me to change, it's the outside circumstances that have to change, not what's going on inside me. Does that make sense? 
are you asking me where does that come from? Yeah, like where does it come? I mean, clearly it's a pattern from our family, yeah. but is, is there anything else beyond that, like to change the outside circumstances in order for me to, to, to be, do, or have more? Well, I don't, you know, here's the thing. I don't know exactly where it comes from, but I think the idea behind it is almost uh, scientific. If you, we look at results and, and how, do we, how do we see results? We can measure them in some way. So if we can measure something, then we can kind of determine if something's broken or whatever, what needs to be fixed, because we're looking at the various aspects of the physical universe, so to speak. It never really was incorporated into the idea of success in any general way that there was a, 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 an entire personality and human factor uh, of different components within the person intellectually that you could literally work on those things and have it dramatically affect the physical thing that you're doing. So I think that, you know, it became a, it became a, um, you know, here's the hard work. It's a, it's a work ethic, but you, if something's broken, look outside of yourself and, and fix it there. We're not, we never really looked at what is the cause of that, which is the, the person. I don't know where or how it started. I, I think that it's just, it's kind of like, it's always been that way. That the idea of understanding human psychology is actually not that old. So that had to come second, right? Um, before, I mean, we were fixing things and creating things before we understood sure. human psychology or any of that stuff. So I think that it was just always the way that it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're not really trained or taught growing up to like search your feelings, no, search within really. yourself. Like this is not some Jedi mind tricks. You're, you're looking outside of what's happening and you're saying just, you know, go inside and work on that first and then takes care of itself. Um, in the episode, you talked about the four questions and you've talked about the four questions on here before. So I don't think I need to go into what those are. Um, but can you recall when you first started using those four questions as your guide when working towards your own incredible success? Yeah. So that started when I was, um, uh, when I first started coaching with my mentor, because one of the things that I experienced, and of course, many people that, that go into coaching or mentorship do experience this, was tremendous confusion around making a decision. I didn't know how to make a decision. And then I remember, you know, Proctor taught me, he's like, nobody has ever really taught how to make a decision. Like it's in one of the most incredible things because decision is what shapes our life. It gives everything direction. How are you actually deciding to do something? What's behind all of that? So I remember with all of this, the, the, the new goals that I was setting for myself and the idea of learning all the different things that I needed to learn to bring about those goals, it was very confusing. Like, where do you start? How do you know if this is the right thing? How do you know if you're making a, a business decision correctly? And I had no skill under that whatsoever. And then Proctor gave me those four questions and immediately it brought clarity to all of this confusion, you know, because as soon as I would start thinking about it, it would be like, I, and then it would get into fear, right? I don't, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to, I don't literally don't want to screw this up. So it brought all this clarity to what I was doing and it made it's number one, it sped up the process, but it made the decision-making uh, uh, ability much faster, much cleaner, 
and v- accurate, like very accurate. Right. It, you didn't spend time dwelling on, I don't know if this is the right thing or not. It becomes very evident. This is either the right thing or the wrong thing. Make the decision and move on. Yeah, it's either yeses or nos. And, I, and, and, and for those who haven't listened to this episode, go back and listen to it. But I am going to reiterate those four questions here because if I don't, I fear I might get some emails. Okay. Um, is this something I want to be, do, or have? Yep. Question one. Is being, doing, or having this going to take me closer to my goal? Yep. Uh, is being, doing, or having this in harmony with God's laws and the laws of the universe? And the fourth question is being, doing, or having this going to violate the rights of others. Right. And you're looking for three yeses and a no. Uh, if you don't get those three yeses and a no there, then you probably should not, you should move on. Right. Right. Absolutely. Perfect. And like I said, and like you said, actually, it's so nice to know that it's either a yes or a no when you're making a decision. And this could be any sort of decision. Mm-hmm. It's not like a life changing decision. This could be something, you know, as, as simple as just whatever comes right. up in your day to day. So those four questions, I know you did an episode uh, before and I'll try to link to that in the show notes around the four questions. It's it's powerful stuff and it's, it's how you guide yourself to your own success. Right. So, all right. Well, you did talk about fear which is what my next question is. Um, the awareness that comes with asking those questions I just mentioned uh, when you're triggered or facing an obstacle is hugely powerful. Uh, so many people go immediately to fear, which keeps them from seeing the truth in, in many situations. Not only that, but invites more of that fear to come in. Cause yeah. if you start being afraid of something, then you're just going to invite more into your life. Yep. Uh, fear leads to more fear essentially. So for someone who struggles with fear out there, especially around not being able to maybe pay their bills or fear what other people might think of them if they couldn't pay their bills, what advice would you offer them up when that fear starts to bubble up and to help them get through it? So fear is, it's really interesting because it's, um, it's not always a bad thing. You know, fear could save your life, but most people don't realize we're only born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. All other fears are learned, but this is where it gets really interesting. The subconscious mind can't tell the difference between something that's imagined and something that's real. Okay. So when you, if you're, let's say you're, you're, one of your parents has um, uh, a f- some kind of fear, and they're always talking about that fear. You may never have experienced whatever it is that they experienced that, that they're afraid of, but the fact that they're constantly talking about that fear, and if it starts to get into your imagination, it can get into your subconscious mind, and you develop a fear around something you've never even experienced before, and it's in there. And then later on, you go to do something that resembles that, and that fear comes up, and you're like, where the hell did this fear come from, right? So the idea is when we have a fear, it's either rooted in an experience or imaginative around something that that happened in your life and it got into your subconscious mind. But in order to get rid of it, you have to experience whatever it is, the result, without the realization of whatever the fear says would happen, right? So, I mean, being that we work with business people, this comes up in business all the time. So the idea is don't engage with the fear because when you when you go into fear, there's a voice in your head that's talking to you, right? It, whatever, it's chattering, right? You're afraid of this. This could happen. That could go wrong. What happens if this happens? The worst thing that we can do is engage with that voice. In other words, start having a conversation with ourselves. there. You recognize it. You know that it's there. But the idea is that you don't pay attention to it. You go do the thing that you're going to do. You tell yourself you're going to be okay. It's okay to do this. And you just let the fear be there. So what happens is you begin to starve it of energy. And as you're starving it of energy, you're also doing the thing that the fear is trying to tell you not to do. 
and you're giving yourself a new experience that doesn't have the reality of what the fear is trying to tell you. You do that a few times, and the fear loses all of its power. Because it's ba- in many cases, it's based in a lie. It's based in something that's not true that actually never happened. And if it was something that did happen, the idea is that you learn whatever the mistake was that caused the fear to happen and you do something different. Yeah. But that's it. But, the, but it's like Emerson said, the, the, the thing that you give energy to will grow. Don't give energy to the thing, the fear or doubt or worry or any of that but put it in the outcome that you want and that'll grow and you'll starve the fear. Yeah. Give yourself that experience of that, which you are afraid of. And then once you do that, everything figures itself out. When you were telling that, it reminded me of my daughter, fascinating story um, around uh, like, swallowing or choking, right? She, someone very close to her had gotten into her head that, um, she could choke on anything she eats, right? She had never, she, to my knowledge, she's never choked on anything, but as a young, you know, child, she was so afraid of choking. She wouldn't eat. Like she was just so afraid. She was afraid she was going to choke on everything, even on water. She was afraid she was going to choke and she had never had that experience. So the chatter in her mind was telling her that this was real, even though she had never experienced it. And I have a feeling that a lot of people can probably relate to that because a lot of the times that fear is something we've never experienced ourselves, but because the people who are around us are constantly talking about it, it worms its way in. So I would have to believe that this comes back to be very mindful about who you surround yourself with because if people start talking about fears that they have, inevitably, if you start to be around them enough, you're going to believe those as well. So let me, let me tell you this story. I was, I was at a seminar one time um, with, with Proctor and I was, I had just started flying again after about 10 years of, of not flying. Never had a problem flying at all. I didn't have no fear around flying, nothing. I flew as a kid. I flew when I was in the, in the service, no issue. So I start flying because I'm doing seminars, right? And I'm going to sure. all these different things. And I'm noticing that I'm experiencing a very anxious feeling when we're taking off. Not when we're in the air, not when we're landing. But before takeoff, I'm like really anxious. I'm like, where the hell is this coming from? I've never had this issue before. And to this day, I don't know what caused it. But it was happening every single time. And... Once we got in the air, I was okay, but it was during that initial takeoff. And I walk up to Bob, and I was going to ask him, right, about this. And I, I started to tell him, I said, hey, listen, when we start to take off, I'm developing this fear of flying. He goes, get the fuck away from me. And he turned around, and he walked away. And I was like, what the hell? And then a few minutes later, he comes up to me, and he says, listen, I don't want that in my head. He's like, I fly constantly. I don't want it in my head. And anything that I don't consciously reject, I will unconsciously accept. He said, so I'm guarding myself against your issue. He said, you know how to get rid of this. He said, but this is what we're talking about in the seminars. He said, you know what to do. Do it. But don't bring that crap around me. And later on, we had another you know, conversation about it. And he said, listen, the subconscious mind is insidious as hell. When you are in any situation, circumstance with people, if you're not really careful about what it is that they're talking about or a fear that they're experience, experiencing, if, you're, if you are really not focusing on consciously rejecting it, 
subconsciously you start accepting it and before you know it, you will develop a fear or a block or an issue, whatever. And, and you'll manifest it in your life. He's like, so you, number one, don't be around people that are doing that on a regular basis. Number two, if you find yourself in a situation like that and you can't get out, you need to like consciously, I completely reject this idea. You don't have to say it to them, but you in say it in, in your head. And at first with the way he reacted, I was kind of like, I thought he was kind of joking. But over the years with the experience that I had, I realized just how serious he was because it is that insidious. I mean, it is crazy the things that can get into your subconscious mind and then start manifesting. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very important thing to understand and know so that you can move yourself through your own fear and accomplish the things that you want to accomplish and not let new ones get in there. Yeah, and what an amazing gift he gave you in just setting the boundary alone. Yeah. Like, just leave. I don't even want to be anywhere near this exactly. because it, it made me think about, like, water cooler talk and how toxic that can be in a Very, work environment. Like, yeah. if you're in a J-O-B and you hear one person, you could be completely uh, fine with everything that's going on, but you go over to the water cooler and now they're talking about, well, this person's a pain in the ass and this boss is this Out. immediately it's in your head and yep. then you start feeling that like this happens to me sometimes if someone I know like let's say Steph is having a problem with someone I immediately start to take on that energy and I can kind of go to re resentment towards whatever person she's talking about even though I have no experience of that happening just because I don't know if it's because I want to be accepted by or I want to be just like Steph or whatever it might be it, it's it's a lesson in be mindful of who you have around. And if somebody does start to go down that road, walk away, walk it off, get out of that area. Because just by you sitting around there, you don't even have to say, mm-hmm, or yes, you're taking it in even by surrounding yourself right. with that. Well, you so, you so you're talking about something that's very interesting, and I want to make sure that everybody hears this clearly. So Steph is your wife. Yeah, correct. You don't have an energetic filter with your wife. Okay, you're, yeah. you're completely open. So... Whatever energy that she's expressing, it's very easy for you to pick that up because you're not like guarding yourself from it. Where if you were to walk into a situation with strangers or, or something different, you may you may be like, okay, I just need to bubble up. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not taking everything on yeah. that, that's going on here. And I think we naturally do that sure, a bit sure. when we go out into the world. But usually. If we're with our partner, we're not like that. Right. But in that in that scenario, realize that that's what's happening. You're wide open, and it's just you're just picking up that energy, yeah. just like you said. Yeah, I think that's such a good lesson. I mean, I learn something new every time we do one of these insides, and I think that's a big one for me. But I do, I do love that example you provided with your own mentor and how he was very serious. I don't very. want any part of that in my life. That is that is amazing. So let me pivot a little bit. In the episode, you talked about how there are more millionaires than there have ever been in yeah. history. And that comes from there just being so many examples of people out there who are raising their standards to achieve that level. And it's only going to continue as we move forward because there's more examples to draw from. Right. And technology um, and te made it a lot, correct, a lot easier. Correct. So what used to be a high watermark, the millionaire, that uh, seemed limited has now become so much more common. So... I have a feeling that there's some people out there listening that would push back on the fact that, well, it's easy to become a millionaire because maybe they're not there yet and they really want to be. Mm -hmm. So is there something they can do right now, like a simple little mind sh mindset tweak that they can use to start believing that it's possible for them, even though their results right now 
are anything but. Yeah. So a really a really cool thing to do, um, and even if you are a millionaire or you you're you're up in that category, this is a this is a great exercise. But definitely for somebody that's not there yet, if you t- if you're going to take a big number like a million, the idea is that you break it down to the ridiculous so that your subconscious mind can accept the number. So one exercise that we do in uh, live seminars is to take a million dollars as an income and break it down to the ridiculous into how much money would you need to earn twice a day if you were working seven days a week, twice a day, how much would you would you need to actually sell in order to earn a million dollars? And it's like I don't I forget what the number is, but it's like twelve hundred bucks or something right. like that twice a day. And if you did that, if you did that every day for a year, you would literally earn a million dollars. Now, your mind can accept twelve hundred dollars much easier than it can a million. And another thing behind that is that. Most people have experience with earning $1,200, where you didn't have any experience earning a million. Here's what I find fascinating about this. Every time I do that, uh, uh, that exercise, people go, oh, my God, like that is so easy. Why haven't they done that exercise on their own? You know, because the million so locks down their mind in, I can't do this, I'm not that, I wouldn't know. They don't think resourcefully around how can I actually get to that number? Like how much would I have to earn on this regular basis in order to be able to get to the number? But you can do it with a million, you can do it with 10 million, you can do it with a billion. The idea is that you take a nut, you take a big idea or a number, you break it down to the ridiculous so your mind can accept it, and then you create a strategy to be able to earn it or acquire whatever it is. And really, it makes it very, very easy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and for those who have listened to the podcast, they could go back to episode 144, where we actually took we a piece. It. We did. We took a David from the stage, and it's titled Break It Down to the Ridiculous. I'll link to that in the show notes below. But you, you do go through, you walk a group of people in a live studio yeah. audience talking about how to break that number down because most people on this podcast don't realize it, but there already are millionaires. It's just the time, the time That's frame right. with which they've made it because they've been making money since they were 18 years old. Yeah. So if you start to think about it, everyone listening to this is most likely a millionaire. It's just, you want to get it down to a, a 12 month time period or something, <laughs> right. or maybe exactly. a month period. I don't want to pigeonhole you exactly. there. But. Because then you're dealing with a different problem. Right. I'm not dealing with a million dollar problem anymore. I'm dealing with a time problem. So how do I fix the time problem so that I can earn the million in a shorter amount of time? And somebody might go, oh, you're just playing with my mind or whatever. No, actually, it's, it's really real because the way that you approach that problem is very different than if you're approaching it just from a number pr- perspective. Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So getting back to the will and what we talked about at the top of this about the intense focus it requires and it's mm-hmm. that singleness of mind. So can you talk about a little bit more about the importance of singleness of mind in what you're doing? You did mention that in the episode briefly, but the singleness in mind of what you are doing, especially when it comes to avoiding distraction, because I feel like a lot of people when they start to work towards something, they easily get distracted, whether it's bright, shiny object or something else off to the side. So the importance of that singleness of mind in what you're doing. Well, part of the problem is that people do get distracted so much that they never become good at the things that they need to become good at. So the idea is that you're intensely focused on a, a task in order to get an outcome. 
And you're doing several things at the same time when you do this. First of all, you're reprogramming the subconscious mind, which is a fantastic thing. But there's two ways to program the subconscious mind. One is through constant spaced repetition, and the other one is a sudden emotional impact. So we're not dealing with the sudden emotional impact much because that's like if you had an accident or something like that. But the constant spaced repetition means you're doing the same thing intently. You're focused on it, so you're not really thinking about anything else. And you're doing it over and over and over again, and you're getting a result. Now, if I only do that periodically because I'm focused on a lot of other things, let's say sales, for instance, right? And I make one sale now and another one 30 days from now. I'm not really changing my subconscious programming around the idea of sales because it's too far apart in its experience. The other thing is I'm not really learning very well. The more I can install the actual cause and effect of what I'm doing in a short time frame allows me to learn much quicker. If I spread it out, it takes forever to learn. I mean, think about if you were learning to drive a car. You did it on one Saturday, and then two months later, you did it another hour on a Saturday. It would take you years right. to, act, to, to be able to figure it out. So the focus allows just the deal with the one thing in your mind, become good at it, learn everything that you can about it. And what we do, change the subconscious programming, and then you've mas- you, you move to mastery when you, when you do that. Plus, it allows a person to get more done in a shorter time frame, right? People that get distracted, it, they're not efficient in what they're doing. Right. And it does not allow them uh, to be as organized as they could be to get the end results that they want. If they would take an hour and completely focus on the one thing versus five things, they would actually get it done much quicker and much better. Yeah, you think about efficiency too in business, especially in this game. If you're not, we'll talk about sales again. If you're not making sales every single day, that's why I think it's so important for you when you say you make a sale, then you should follow that up immediately with another couple sales just to keep that experience going, that momentum going. Because if you do it sporadically, then you're one step closer to being out of business. It's so important You mentioned the science of getting rich. Waddles has a chapter called Efficient Action, right? It's about how efficient is the work and how how focused are you in the work that you're actually doing every day in order to become rich, right? It's If you're not doing that, you're never going to get there because, you know, it's kind of like a racing engine. I had a guy tell me one time when I was trying to break through in the early days, he said, he said, it's like you're you're trying to go 300 miles an hour with an eight-cylinder engine. He's like, you need to change the engine. It's more efficient. It has more power. It gives you, you know, directly to the goal that you want. But unless you do that, you're not going to get the result. And really being focused in on one idea for an extended period of time gives you the power to be able to do that. Yeah. And there's this through line that runs through like all the great, the people who have been great at something, you know, whether it's athletes, whether it's people in film and TV, whether it's people like yourself who are coaches and who work with, with, with people, it's that, that focus on doing one thing really well. Like this is the thing I'm going to focus on. You might be good at other things, but I'm going to be great at this thing. And if I focus on that and if I use my will to intently focus on that thing, by the constant repetition of that thing, you are going to become great at it. You know, Tim Grover said that Michael Jordan 
was the person that he saw do that better than anybody. He had the ability to be just completely single-minded during a game. Nothing else was going on in his head. And the other athletes, they were bringing uh, their issues with their wives or their kids or, you know, their girlfriend. Like, they were bringing all this other drama onto the court with them, and it prevented them from being as efficient and effective as they actually could be. And he said Jordan had the ability to shut all of that out and just focus on that result that he wanted to get that day. Yeah, just what a what a gift to be able to clear your mind on whatever field you're playing on, yeah. whether it's the field of business or the the basketball or the football field, to clear your mind and use that will and that focus to really drive home what it Absolutely. is you want. Absolutely. All right, well, last question here. As the world starts to get back to normal coming out of the, the global pandemic that was 2020 into 2021, I think it's important to understand that in any situation, you know, asking yourself these big questions that you always share, and I love these, I'm going to say them again, <laughs> what's the truth in this or what's actually happening here? And those help you reframe even the most difficult of circumstances. Yeah. Now, many people may be complaining about the lost year of the, the pandemic and all we want but it doesn't change anything. We can sit there and bitch and moan about what happened. It happened. Right. We're here. We're going to get through it. We have to navigate through this world that has now changed. So what's the shift that you had to make internally to help make sense of what we just came out of? And I'm assuming like me, it wasn't always easy, but you managed it. The world changed. How did you do that as we walk out? And, and maybe as it pertains to the will, your focus helped get you through it. Yeah. It, so immediately when I saw what was happening was actually real, that it was there was really an issue uh, coming, I did not try to focus on making sense of it. I just said, what is the opportunity? Because everything's going to change. So what is changing? What is going away? And what, is, what are the new opportunities and how do we focus there? And we intently focused on repivoting the company in those directions. And we didn't miss a beat. Yeah, We did not miss a beat. Uh, I saw a lot of other companies struggle because they spend a tremendous amount of time trying to figure things out. And, you know, like I asked the four questions. It was, it was very focused on here's how things are changing and how do we adapt to that change? The other thing was that we didn't resist it. No. It's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit and bitch and, res- and complain or whatever. It is what it is. This is what we have to do to keep moving. Yeah. And That's it was, it. it was your will and Steph's will yeah. and making these decisions together and saying, look, this is what we're going to do. There was never any, oh shit moments. No. It was like, it's here. This is what we're going to do. Let's move forward That's and it. let's use our will. To, to help more people, and that's what you've done. That's it. I think the other thing that you could put in there is be grateful for whatever it is that you're going through. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care how bad it was. I don't care about any of the drama around it. Be grateful. Take away the best of what is there and move on. Life is too damn short to get sucked into the into the nonsense. Absolutely, and that is the proper use of the will. You bet. I love it. Thanks for coming inside. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.